to Ephesians chapter 6. Last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13, and we, uh, we introduced a, the, one of the last portions of this text on the armor of God, the whole armor of God, and we looked at uh, sort of a, uh, an opening kind of uh, uh, description of what we're going to be digging into. We're going to be taking each of these pieces sort of piece by piece, but again, they should be taken all together, and you'll hear some very, uh, very uh, common things throughout the, the entire uh, next couple of weeks here as we look at each individual piece because they are tied together. You can't have one without the other. Uh, one of those, we, it's not like we can have one of them and, and then we don't know anything about the other one. Not to mention all of these, and I'm just going to make this statement right up front before you, uh, you're going to hear me say this multiple times, so just get ready for this, but um, all of these really find their, their ultimate fulfillment or the ultimate reality of them in Jesus Christ. Uh, when, if we want to say we're putting on the whole armor of God, I want you to hear this before we jump into any specific pieces, before we talk about any specific things. We may talk about some, some practical kinds of things, but I want you to know that if we're going to talk about putting on the whole armor of God, in a nutshell, what I'm talking about, what the scripture is talking about, is we have to put on Jesus. That's what it is. We are protected when we are in Jesus. We can't talk, you, you, you can't, and I know we don't like consciously do this, but you can't somehow think that you're going to have the breastplate of righteousness, for example, and separate that from Jesus somehow, or that, that you're going to somehow not have to be obedient or be found in Christ, but you're going to still manage to put on this armor of some kind that's going to protect you from what Satan is doing in your life. It's not going to happen because all of these are Jesus. That's what they are. You, 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 that's what it means to put on the armor. It means to put on Jesus. If we put on Jesus, we have the armor on. If we don't put on Jesus, we don't have the armor on. Speaking of Jesus, as I think of this, I, I titled the, uh, today's message just like I have titled the uh, last, uh, last week's and this week's as well, to stand firm because that is what we're supposed to do. That's why we put on the armor to stand firm against these schemes, the methods of Satan. But we, we were, I, I opened up with the, word of, with the name of Jesus. I just want to have you, before we jump into the, the verse we're going to cover today, or the half verse we're going to cover today, I want you to, to, to visualize the scene with me, because I think it's going to be helpful as we go through the rest of today. To visualize the scene of Jesus. He's just come out of the water of baptism. And uh, glorious things happened there, right? Uh, they had a little interchange between him and John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. The heavens open up. Uh, the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. God speaks audibly from, uh, from where he's at up, in, uh, up in, the, in the heavens. And he says, this is my son, my beloved son. I'm pleased with him. And as you, as you in your mind's eye see the situation unfolding, the next verse says that the Holy Spirit took Jesus and drew him out into the wilderness or the place of, uh, the desolate place, the place of loneliness. And he drew them out there and for 40 days, this, I'm telling you, we, we read these things and they're kind of like, they just like slip through our brains and we don't think about what it actually means because when's the last time you contemplated taking a 40 day fast? For 40 days, Jesus didn't eat. It says at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That might be the biggest understatement in all of Scripture. And as he found himself in a place of hunger and of weakness and of, of who knows what all assails you, because probably none of us have been to that place, right? I've done a three-day fast, and that was, that was pretty big in my world. He found himself in this place of vulnerability, and the devil comes, the accuser comes, and the tempter comes. And he tries Satan. 
And he first of all tries one that it makes a lot of sense, right? Because he says, hey, you're probably very hungry. Take this stone and you can turn it into bread. Something that God does uh, very handily, readily, right? Can make bread appear on the ground. And Jesus looks back at him and he says, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. But Satan isn't done. He takes him to the temple in the middle of Jerusalem, up in the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, you want to quote scripture? Well, quote scripture. He says, you can throw yourself down because God, this is a bit of my paraphrase, but, but God cares for you and God's hand is going to come and protect you so that not a foot of yours, you won't have a foot that will strike the stone. Of course, he's implying that God, uh, Jesus is special to God and if so, then God's going to protect him. And Jesus again looks at the devil, looks at the tempter, looks at the accuser and he says, Scripture also says you should not put the Lord your God to test. But Satan's still not done. And by the way, we, we read three of them. I, I have no doubt there's much more than three that was happening during those 40 days of fasting. But Satan's still not done because he takes him up on a high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, you can have all of this, Jesus, if you will bow down and worship me. And the message is not about the dynamics and the truth and all those things but my message is about what Jesus did because Jesus looked at him and he finally says, get away from me, Satan. Get away from me, for it is written that you should worship God and God alone. No one else. Doesn't matter what you have to offer to me. Even if you can't offer me all the kingdoms of the world, doesn't matter because God says I should worship him alone. It is perhaps with this scene in mind that you hopefully have been visualizing Jesus being assailed from every corner by the enemy, it is perhaps with that scene in mind that Paul writes these words, that we should stand, therefore, against the schemes of the devil. We should stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put around us, if you're reading the King James, having girded our loins, which is a funny phrase that we don't use anymore either, but uh, having girded our loins with the belt of truth, having fastened the belt of truth. Now, it may seem weird to start this, this, powerful, this powerful expression of the mighty armor of God with a thing like a belt, right? You want to talk about all the big stuff, but he starts with the belt of truth. The belt is actually, by the way, uh, literally like right in the middle, and it ties the two pieces of armor that they would have been wearing together. The belt is also really handy because if you have your shield in one arm and some kind of lance or pike in the other arm and you also want a sword and also a few other things with you, you got to carry them somehow, right? But it's actually the phrase he's using that makes more sense because uh, we, we lose it in the ESV because we don't use the word loins or we don't gird them up anymore. And there's a whole lot of other details I could maybe go into, but the loins is referring to the seat of power and of passion of a man of a person, to have the, the, the place where the power and passion emanates from in people, to be, have that surrounded or tied up or, or, or hemmed in by the truth. By the way, he puts, this, he puts the belt first for a reason, and he puts it with truth for a reason, because all the rest of this don't make, don't, don't have a whole lot of good to do if they don't start from truth. You can't have a helmet of salvation without truth. You can't have a breastplate of righteousness without truth. As we walk through this, you'll probably see this. Maybe you already understand that. But you have to have the truth first. The place where power, you know, that we have a phrase today that we say that someone has fire in their belly. That's based on that kind of, that kind of, that, 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 that picture that's being drawn of why we are to gird up our loins with truth. 
But all of those things aside, I'm actually more interested in what Paul is trying to tell us when he says that we must begin with truth. Our defense against the methods of Satan must begin with truth. Well, it makes perfect sense, right? If the method of Satan is to deceive, then you have to begin with truth, right? You don't have another option. You can't, you can't start some other place defeating the enemy without starting with truth. But I think it's worth us talking about some things today. Why truth? Why does he start with truth? If we're going to effectively have any kind of interaction with putting on Jesus or putting on the whole armor of God, we have to somewhere get ourselves to some basic truth and some basic understanding of God and of ourselves. There's just no other way to put it. We can talk about all kinds of methods. We can talk about all kinds of fancy things. We can talk all kinds of tips and tricks and all kinds of whatever you, latest five steps. Or whatever. It doesn't matter if we have not brought ourselves to a basic down to the bottom nitty-gritty level of who God is and who we are, it won't matter a whole lot based upon some objective standard of truth. You know, Scripture actually says we start with truth because that's who God is. It's God's standard to bear. It's God's line to draw. It's God himself. David said it very early on in Scripture. This is from 2 Samuel chapter 22. David is, uh, he's actually uh, worshiping, and he says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him. But it's that, that phrase, I pause that. The word of the Lord proves true. There's a foundational, basic understanding that we have to get ourselves to if we're going to make any progression or, or any, have any success in putting on the armor of God. And that is that what God says is true. What God says will happen will come true. What God says did happen is true. That is the, that's the standard of truth. Now, I suspect that there would have been a number of years ago, centuries ago perhaps, or even a number of years ago in the U.S., where you, well, you may not have had to camp out so much on this part of the sermon, because we would have understood that for some, at some basic level. I don't think that's true anymore for us. I think many of us, I think many of us would be shocked if God would pull the curtain back sometimes and would reveal the depths to which we have given in to our culture around us in thinking that truth is somehow formable or malleable or can, can be shifted or can, 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 have, can, can be affected in other ways or, or it may be different for different people or maybe different in different situations. I do it all the time. I mean, don't, don't feel like I'm talking to you. I do it all the time. I mean, I am talking to you too, but I got justify my situation based on something else because of what I know is going on inside of me or because of what I know is I know more about the situation. The problem is I'm doing exactly what everybody else in the culture then does to say, well, my truth defines what my situation is like or what's happening for me. That's what matters. Not just David at the beginning, but at the very end of the Bible, when John is seeing his revelation, he says he heard this from the altar. Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. True and just are your judgments, God. It should be perhaps something that comes out of our mouths with some frequency, maybe to remind ourselves more than anything else, that God, you don't make any mistakes. You don't make any mistakes, God. 
What you do is true and just. Your decisions, the outcomes of, it's right. It's always right. You are perfect and pure in every way. Those are the things that begin to hedge against or fight against what is going to creep in from the culture around us, but what's going to creep in from our own flesh that says, did God really say? Was God really meaning that? Was that really how it was, should have gone? You know, in the Gospel of John, coming back more in the middle, the same thing comes out. John wrote these words, whoever receives his testimony, whoever receives Jesus' testimony, sets his seal to this. The seal is sort of the final thing. Can't be taken, it's the final, it's like, I read this, I prove it, and this is my stamp, that this is what I say. He sets his seal to this, that God is true. You see, this is why we begin with the belt of truth, because we begin with the understanding that God is right, and if there's a discrepancy, then I'm wrong, right? That God is, he's got, it, he's, got the, he's got the truth, and if I don't understand or see it that way, then I'm not correct. I'm telling you, 2022, American Christians, this is hard to swallow for us. But it's what we need. It's, what, it's the pill we need to swallow, if we can put it that way. It's maybe why our armor is so ineffective because we forgot that the belt of truth demands that that must be where we start. Well, we could also look a couple of places. Let me just clear that verse for you because we could look at a couple of places and find out what happens when there's not truth. What happens when we don't come with that understanding that God is true and the things that God say are true? Now, I, I could take you back to the book of, I think it's in Ezekiel. Ezekiel, God has a rather scathing, a rather scathing uh, indictment against the prophets of the day. Because they're saying all kinds of things and saying, yay, thus the Lord has said. And none of it's true. Interestingly, if you go back and read, I should have given you the reference at least. I'm, but if you go back and read there, he actually says the words, this is why that you can't withstand your enemies anymore. Isn't that interesting? In the context of the, of the message today of Ephesians chapter 6 and putting on the armor of God to stand against the schemes of the devil. And if you don't have it on, you, he, that's what God told the prophets. He said, this is why you as a country cannot withstand your enemies anymore because your prophets say whatever they want to. And they say, this is what God says. This is true. And it's not true. They don't speak for God. You could get a much closer and much more descriptive also uh, look also when you look at Romans chapter 1. If you'd read the last half of Romans chapter 1, you'd see what happens because what ends up with a whole bunch of, of vile, fully engaged in sinful activity began with saying people exchange the truth of God for a lie. Read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, and you'll see actually a really good picture of what our culture looks like today. And you'll understand why we got to where we got there, how we got there. This is why we have to begin with truth. This is why we don't begin with salvation, why we don't begin with the gospel, why we don't begin with the shield of faith, why we don't begin with those kinds of things, because we have to begin with the basic understanding that God is true, and we are the ones who have walked in falsehood. So we put on the belt of truth. Well, let's just do a little exercise this morning. This is a bold proposition, but I feel pretty comfortable doing so. 
What is the truth? I mean, this is what people argue, spend all time, kinds of things, time arguing about, right? What is the truth? Now, I was really, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I was really looking for some kind of interactive way I could do this because I wanted you guys to engage in it. But I also really want everyone to hear everything that is going to be said because it's all going to be scripture. So I think I'm just going to read them, but I'm still going to hopefully try to engage you. But I, I, as I'm answering this, as I'm looking at this question, the first thing that pops into my mind is Jesus' own words, which is why I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Because Jesus said in John 17, 17, that we are to be set apart or sanctified in the truth. Your word is truth. Remember, God is true. What God says is true. So why don't we go to what God says? Now, I mean, I'm not naive to think that I'm going to define every single truth that's out there. But I want to just take us on a little trip about what is truth and help us see from God's word some things that he says are true that I think are good for us to remind ourselves. I'm wondering, would you be willing, as your sort of participation or engagement in, the, in, the, in what we're going to do, would you be willing to stand as I read these verses from God's word? I'm hopeful that as you're standing, you're a bit more attentive and not falling asleep and not thinking this is the boring part of the sermon, because this is not the boring part of the sermon. This is the truth that God has outlined. Now, you can flip uh, at the places I'm going to go if you want to. You can uh, just listen if you'd like to. If you want to see where I'm going to go to, I don't, I didn't, on the back side of your bulletin, there's a handout. I've got all the verses I'm going to read lined out there. But I just want to just spend some time with answering the question, what is the truth? And I'm praying that God will open our ears and our hearts and our minds to hear his truth this morning. Here's what Romans 3, verses 10 and 11 say, and 12. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, that's not a very exciting place to start off with the truth, but that is uh, where we're going to start this morning. As we continue reading, flipping over a couple of pages in Romans, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, which I'm guessing many of you could quote, So you're welcome to say it with me if you can quote it. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's continue unveiling this truth. God says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Who's that, by the way? Who were those under the law? That's me, that's you, that's all of us. He sent his son to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Go back to Romans chapter five, verse six, and it reads this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And of course, my favorite verse of all, it might be my favorite verse of all, actually, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, listen to this truth. For by a single offering, he has, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, those are some words of truth. I could go on and about that. But there's some words of truth focused on the gospel. Focused on what God says about your status as a sinner, but your status as a redeemed person when you receive what Jesus has done for you. Are you willing to receive that truth this morning, church? That's what, the church, uh, that's what the truth is, and that's what uh, the church is, is to receive. But let me just read a few more things for us this morning that are still truth from God's Word. 
This time we're gonna, I'm going to look at 2 Peter chapter 1, going to verse 3. His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, those precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. I tell you, church, we could meditate on those verses for weeks and months on end. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter four says this. Verses, oops, that's first Corinthians. That's why that didn't make sense. Verses four, sixteen through eighteen. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Another truth we could spend a long time digging into. How about this one? First Peter verse, chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Is this truth something you can receive this morning, church? These verses are focused. This truth I read to you now is focused on our living with Jesus. They're truth. That's what's true. Don't let anyone tell you that you cannot resist what Satan does. Don't let anyone tell you that, it, that the world has too much to offer. Don't let anyone tell you that, that how your flesh, what it wants, is it's too much to overcome. These verses strike against that with the truth. And they tell you that, by the way, you're not the only one who's facing difficulties and struggles and trials. It's happened to people all over the world. And God has promised the God who's called you to his eternal glory has promised that when, when you have suffered a little while, he will come and strengthen you and he'll come confirm you. He'll, co he'll come restore you. He'll come establish you to the praise of his glory. But we're not done yet because I want to read a couple more things of truth for you this morning. This one is also very familiar. It's part of the uh, first part of the Great Commission, but it's the part we often forget because we're so busy getting to the part of what we're supposed to do that we forget to read Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Listen, I'm going to tell you that as we finish these last ones out, I want you to see not just the battle, how it, be, how it began, how we got, came into the kingdom. I don't want you to just see the battle and the truth that pertains to the battle of that we're living in. I want you to see the end because it's already been written. That's the truth. And Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. There's no authority higher than his. There's no power or dominion greater than his. There's no place his authority doesn't extend to. And then we read things like this. I'm going to go back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. Again, just to confirm this, 
Now, the first part isn't necessarily, but it's a whole sentence. I'm going to read it. First Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Baptism, he says, which corresponds to this, that he's referring to Noah's ark and, and being saved through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's the verse I was going to get to. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. You know, for all the hand-wringing we do and all the worrying we do about what the end times are going to be like and all the things we're not sure of how they're going to happen and all the, the places we see where evil apparently is having a lot of power, do you, do, you ever, do you ever stop and think about the fact that when it comes right down to it at the end of the book of Revelation, when G John begins to see what's going to happen at the end, these things, they're, they're, so, they're so simply and so briefly stated. For example, in Revelation chapter 20, how about this truth in verse 10? And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's it. The battle was done now. That's it. Is this the truth that you can receive this morning, church? You see, we know the end. This is why it's so important to put on the belt of truth. Because when the attacks come, when the, when the pressure comes, when the deception comes, we know the end. We know sin will be judged. We know those in Christ will be victorious. We know Satan will be defeated. We know in Revelation 22, almost the very end of the entire Bible, second to last verse, here's the truth. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And the church responds, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the truth. If I ask the question, what is the truth? If I ask this question, what is the truth? These are things that we are reading from here this morning, and I just have a small sampling of them, but that's where we go to find them. These things are true. What God has said is true. That's why I began with the first part. What God has said is true. The things he said will happen, they're going to happen. No question about it. We may not understand all of how it's going to happen. We may not have all the things and outs figured out. I actually personally think that none of us have them figured out and won't ever get them all figured out. There's not one of us that's going to have every detail right. But the end is not in question. We must stand firm, therefore, with the belt of truth, firmly fastened on us. You may be seated again, because I want to spend some time here in the last part here again. Thanks for being willing to stand so long. I want to spend some time, hang on just a little bit, Okay. I want, to, I want to spend some time just talking about putting on the truth. Because if we're convinced now that God is true and that we have to have the belt of truth and we need to, uh, we, we, that we need this truth, and, then we got to talk about how, how does this work? What does this actually look like? How can we put on the truth? There's a couple of things, and you may be already going to know where I'm going to end up with, but there's a couple of things I think that are helpful to talk about. So first of all, I, I, this may not be the place you think I'm going to start, but I think that we put on truth through other people. There's plenty of instances in Scripture that support the fact that God spoke to people through other people, right? I could take you the story way back in the Old Testament where Elijah's caring for an old widow, widow of Zarephath, and she's about to die, and he miraculously provides for her by making this, the flour and the oil don't ever run out, and her and her son can continue living. You know the story back, way back in the Old Testament. You know what happens after that? Does anybody know what happens after that? After he miraculously sustains her because the flour and oil never run out, what happens after that? What's that? 
her son. What happens to her son? He dies. Her son dies. And she says, now come on, man of God. Why would you come and save me by making the flour and oil go on? And then my son dies. This is pointless. And Elijah walks in and he, he, uh, he well, he prays. I'm not going to go into the He prays and he brings the son back to life. He presents him to the, to the mother again. And guess what her response is? This is a bit of my paraphrase. Guess what is her response is? She says, now I know that you truly are a man of God and what you say is true. She says that right around, that what you say is true. You see, we receive, we put on the belt of truth through other people. I think, by the way, remember my, my, my discussion last week when, as, we, as we started going through this, I talked about how this armor is something that's even something we put on corporately, not just individually. I think this is exactly what Paul is talking about. He's already talked about in Ephesians chapter 4. If you'd flip back and read verses 11 through uh, 16, which we're not going to read all in this morning, but if you'd flip back and look, I think that's exactly what he's talking about. He's saying this is what God does. He gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. As you move through that and you see how he's talking about how the church is together to help people from, from following every wind and wave of doctrine, then look what he says. He says, you should speak the truth in love. You see, church, part of putting on the belt of truth for each of us individually is being part of a community of believers that will help us put that belt on. And it's how we put the belt on together. There's great power. There should be great power in the correction of the group as we study the word of God together to say, well, this is not quite what I thought it meant to help us chip off those things or to help us shave away the things that, we, that we've always sort of understood but we aren't really there. Or maybe we've, we've been brought up to believe but isn't, wasn't really, maybe that, why do we say that? To understand, it's, so we put on the belt together. That's what, that's what church, that's what the body of Christ is for in part, I believe, a big part. We are to speak the truth in love so that we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So, I think it's, it's, it's worth considering that. It's why I would advise each of us that when someone comes to us and maybe wants to speak some truth into our life, that our first reaction not be, no way, because it often is, because we like to defend ourselves, right? We like, to, we like to think that we're right in every situation, or we just don't like being reminded that we're wrong. We don't want to face the fact that we're wrong. My advice would be that we would consider Maybe it's true. It might not be. I'm not giving people a license to control everything that, you, that happens to you or that you believe. But you should at least consider it. What if part of you putting on the belt is, is God sending someone to you to say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Now, it's no surprise because of what we just did when we talked about what is the truth, but I think we should get to this point uh, that uh, we put on the truth through God's word. We have to know what God's word says. I wrote this out in my desk this week as I was preparing for this, and I don't know if it, I, I'm still kind of chewing through it, but I wrote out something to, along the lines of that our defense against Satan is only as good as our knowledge of the Word of God. It's what Jesus did, right? It's the tactic Jesus used. I just told you, I, I described that scene at the beginning. That's one of the reasons I did that. It's because he used the Word of God. He knew what the Word of God said, and he used it in defense against Satan, you know, there's so, so familiar words, and sometimes, I don't know, I, maybe you're not like me, but sometimes when words are so familiar and read so often, when someone starts quoting them, you just kind of like, yeah, I know it, you don't really think about it. It's kind of what Eric said when we think about the songs you're singing. But Psalm 119, verses 9, 10, and 11 say exactly this. They say, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. 
With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Well, isn't the desire to not sin against God exactly the withstanding the schemes of the enemy, of the devil? Isn't that what, isn't that what we're talking about? If we're going to stand against this, the methods of Satan, his method is to lie to us so that we sin. Well, to stand against that is to not sin. And how do we do that? We have to know his word. We have to, we have to hide his word in our hearts. We have to guard it according to the word of God. But let me get to this at the end. Because so far, the first two things I think we talked about are fairly uh, academic, or uh, that's not the right word. They're, they're fairly, um, they're, about, they're about knowledge up here, right? People can share the word with us and, and help us see new things, and that's good. We can read the Bible, and that illuminates things to us, and that's good, and that's what happens. It's the living word, and it's, it, it, it works in us. But we have to come to know the living word as the person, Jesus. You can know all you want about the Bible, right? You can go to the best Bible teaching church. You can put, surround yourself with all the best Bible-believing Christians. But that doesn't mean you're standing against the enemy, does it? That doesn't mean that the word of God that you know is effective in its fight or that you're applying it. You see, for us to walk with the armor that God has given in the belt of truth that we're talking about this morning means that we have to know the living word. We have to know Jesus. We have to be found in him. John opens up his gospel by saying, well, not the very first words, but he says that the word, God's word, which is always true, God's word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus himself, when he was in ministry, and he looked around at the people, and they wanted to be fed, and they wanted to be led, and he said this. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not an exact quotation, but, uh, but just as a reference to make sure you understand that the last two points there, why I can say that you can know all the Bible you want and may not actually help you walk victoriously is because Jesus said words similar to that, right? He said, he was talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. He said, you search the scriptures to find life, but you, you failed to see that they pointed to me. That's my paraphrase. Now, what does that actually look like? Because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father waiting to come back, right? He's not here. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't go find Jesus' house and say, hey, I got a question about how to do this, Right? But Jesus actually already addressed that because in John chapter 16, verse 7, he told his disciples, his followers, he said, I tell you the truth, it is to you. Did you catch what I just said? It went really fast. I tell you the truth. You see how Jesus did it himself? Like, I'm telling you the truth. It's true. It's to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go away. Because if, if I don't go away, then the helper will not come to you. And the helper, of course, is capitalized because that's referring to the Holy Spirit. And then just a chapter later, actually, sorry, not chapter, just a couple of verses later, he refers this way to the Holy Spirit. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
So if you and I want to know what it means to put on the belt of truth, which means to put on, it comes through people and it comes through the word. And of course, as you study the word, I'm fully, I fully believe God's Holy Spirit is active in, in breaking that word to us. No question about that. But we have to put on the living word. And really what I'm trying to say, what that boils down to is we need the Holy Spirit. We need more of the Holy Spirit. We need to put on the Holy Spirit. We need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. We need to not say no to the Holy Spirit when he prompts us or taps on our heart or puts thoughts in our heads uh, about what we should do or not do. We should not resist him for that is our defense. He is our defense. The helper, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. If you want to know truth, if you want to walk in truth, the answer is this, my friend. You have to walk according to the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. You have to be directed by him. Now, they all go together, right? Because, that's, that because we understand what the Holy Spirit is, is saying to us through the lens of Scripture because we're, we're reading here and, and he's asking us to do things that God has already told us. We, this is defining who God is and who we are. It all goes together. By the way, actually, the, the other piece is also true. We, we do it in community with people because that's what allows someone to correct and say, I don't, are you sure that's the Holy Spirit? <laughs> right? Are you sure that's the Holy Spirit? Let's, 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 let's work through this together. That's why a lot of the letters were written in the New Testament, by the way. It's because they were being drawn away by other philosophies, and the writer said, no, 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 no. Come back to Jesus. That's not the Holy Spirit. We put on the belt of truth. It would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? I say this all the time. It would be a lot easier if I could give you some defined list that says, if you do this and this and this, now you've done it. And I gave you a few things that I think are part of that. But to walk in the truth or to put on the belt of truth means you have to be in the word of God and you have to get to know the Jesus that's in the Bible and you have to surrender to him and be found in him and then walk according to what he has to tell you. That, I, that, that, that's a little fuzzy, right? It's the answer you guys all hate when I give it to you that like, you've, what do I do in this situation? Well, you do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. But it's the truth because the righteous live by faith and they have to, they discern, they have to, they, they have to trust and rely. They, they don't have a list that says if you check this off, then it's done. But we put on the belt of truth. Let me just refer one more time to this. You know the verse, it was a really short verse for today. But we are to stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. It's one piece. We're gonna keep putting on more pieces. Would you stand this morning and we're gonna have a closing prayer? In the end, Father, as we are, it's always true, but it's become pretty apparent to me this morning. As we are looking at your word and wanting to be taught by it, it, we need you, we need your Holy Spirit here to illuminate that to us. Without a doubt, Father, we will gather together as a body of believers today, people who I think by the most for the most part, all of us here today have a desire to follow you and want to be right with you and are, uh, want, to, want to honor Jesus in our life. So I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful for the church that you have allowed to gather here in this place on Sunday mornings and those that are with us this morning especially.
But without a doubt, in a group of this size, there are uh, almost certainly some here who are aware of some part of truth that they don't want to acknowledge in their life. And there are some here who are unaware of some truth that they're not even, they don't even know yet that they're being deceived on. Maybe it's some blanket statement. We could say that's almost all of us because none of us have it all figured out for sure. But there's some here who fit that bill. And so this morning, I, as, I'm, as we're closing this and we're talking about putting on the belt of truth, it seems to me impossible to not just, to not just look that straight in the eye, God, and, and to say, where there's deception among us, would you clarify that for us this morning through your Holy Spirit? We believe, God, that you are true. We believe that your word is true. We believe that there's nothing uh, imperfect or there's nothing, uh, there's no mistake in you. That you are the standard and you get to define what is right and wrong. No one else gets to. You're the creator. You are God, the one true God, high and lifted up. We further believe that we, because of our sinful natures that we've inherited from our forefathers, because of our own flesh, we believe that we have been deceived. We have, we, we have, we have walked uh, afoul of the truth. We have sinned. And we're grateful that Jesus has come to set right, to set captives free that are held in bondage to deception to set right that which was uh, wrong, was upset. And we today want to receive that truth. We believe because of the redemption of Jesus Christ this morning, Father, that you have a right to owning us and controlling us. Which is why I can say and why we can say that if there's places where we have been deceived, whether we are aware of it or unaware of it, and you at, in your sovereignty decide that this is the moment that we should become aware of it or that we should face up to that, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come in a powerful way and leave us no place to go but to deal with it. If I even dare say this, Father, leave us no place to go but to willingly, openly reject what you have to say to us or to yield to it in submission and humility. Oh God, I pray that there would not be any that would reject it, but I, but I, I think it's, it's worth it. It, it, it's, it it's, it's momentous enough for us that we want, I want it to be clear what we are doing. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are a helper that will guide us into all truth. And so we ask this morning, even as you are revealing anything to us, we ask for your help in knowing how to deal with that. Whether it's to fall on our face and confess, whether it's to go to someone and talk about it, whether it's to go to someone and, and apologize, whether it's to go to someone and say I was wrong about this, or whether it's, to, uh, whether it's to get rid of something in our life, whether it's to start doing something in our life. Uh, the choice is yours in those because you know what scenarios you're dealing with in every heart and every mind. But I pray for your grace through the Holy Spirit to flood in this place that we would have the courage and the ability to respond to what you're saying to us. And that you would give us the humility to hear from one another. 
that you would give us a hunger for your word. That it may be something that drives us, that we know I want to walk in truth. I want to put on the belt of truth. I want to be, I want to be protected from the, the schemes, the methods of the devil. And I want to put on truth. And to do that, I must know your word, God, for you've given me such a precious gift in your word. You've, you've brought it to us. You've sustained it. And they're words of life to me. They're sharper than a two-edged sword. They divide. They know exactly what my motivations are. They know exactly how to pierce me deep inside when I'm reading them. And I give them that full right to do, for I want to be pierced so that I would come clean, come away, not have those things hanging on to me that are not right, that are sinful, that are ashamed to Jesus Christ and what he died for. So that I might be pure before you when Jesus returns and might be able to stand before you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And I know, Father, this is sort of a, it's sort of a trying to be a tangible with an intangible thing, but I, I pray this morning as we're gathered together, as, we're, as, as our, our eyes are closed and our hearts are yielded to you, I pray that we might sink deeper into you, Jesus, this morning, that we might rest more firmly. We might come put ourselves under your yoke more securely, that we might put on the coat just a bit tighter as we if, if you've revealed things if we put off that we may put on the new we may put on the new man created in true righteousness and holiness after the image of our creator thank you it is only in you Jesus that we will walk faithfully so we want to be found in you may you as we leave this place as we gather together as we talk with each other as we pray with each other as we are willing to be corrected by each other and as we're willing to correct each other as that is led out over the next days weeks maybe minutes but days weeks months may we be firmly resting and attached to you jesus for you are the way the truth and the life we give you praise and glory you are the king jesus we pray in your name amen would you go